0: As our children are leaving, I invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to that passage we read a little earlier, Jeremiah chapter 2. Mary Carr has written a trilogy of memoirs, and the third one is titled Lit. In this book, she recalls the precise moment in her life when her drinking problem had gotten so bad. And it had been so long that way that she had a complete uh, breakdown and checked herself into a mental hospital. She writes that the first night there, she was so anxious, she wanted to crawl out of her own skin. That was her words. So she gets up in the middle of the night and goes into the bathroom. And she remarks that that's the only place that she could be alone and unobserved. There she falls on her knees And for the first time in her life, she does something that she thought only was for the unbearably religious people or the unrealistically superstitious people, and she prays. First, she unleashes a series of pent-up, angry, and accusatory questions to God. And she's had a lot of problems with God for a long time, so she begins to let them all out and to the extent of things like, if, you, if you're listening, God, where were you when? And she has a long list of those things. Finally, at the end of the list of her grievances with God, she's out of breath, but she begins to whisper words of gratitude. And she says, thank you, God, for my husband. Maybe somehow... He'll stick with me after all of this is over. God, thank you for my son, Dev, who was so sick when he was a baby, but he made it through. Now, as she's saying those words, it hits her, she writes, I only came to the end of myself because someone needed me to keep it together, and I couldn't. Carr writes, by checking into the hospital... I've said in some deep way, uncle, to God. Then it hits me. I'm actually kneeling before a toilet in the bathroom. The throne, as other drunks call it. How many other drunken nights and slung over, her words, slung over mornings, listen to this, did I worship at this altar, emptying myself Of poison. See, Mary Carr, she had went after emptiness and became empty. She had went after worthless idols and became worthless herself. Listen to G.K. Beale in this quote, he's a theologian, and he writes this: The worship of false gods is the fellowship of futility. It is the grand delusion whose only destiny, only destiny is disappointment. Have you ever been there? Have you or are you a member of the Fellowship of Futility? Have you felt the effects of the grand delusion? What about your long list, really long list of disappointments that have left you empty inside? You see, Mary Carr knelt and worshipped at her altar a toilet. But I can tell you, look around. It is not the only altar where people are worshipping today. Some worship at the altar of sexual freedom and pleasure, doing their own thing their own way. Some worship at the altar of wealth and materialism of which we call stuff. Others worship at the altar of power and popularity and beauty and their body. Still others worship at the altar of autonomy and self-design, saying, no one will tell me how to live my life. It's the fellowship of futility. And it has all kinds of members, and it always has. And it's had members of all ages, of all races, of all genders, of all status, and all types of backgrounds, but it doesn't really matter because in each and every case, here's what's true. Their only destiny is disappointment. Why is this so, Pastor Walker? Because the truth that we've been thinking about the last couple weeks, because you become like what you worship. You see, in our context, in Jeremiah 2, Israel had made similar choices, exact same choices as Mary Carr made, and perhaps some of you are making this morning. They think that you can be different than the God that you worship, and they were completely wrong, just like Mary Carr was. So I want to take a few moments this morning in our time we have remaining and unpack how and why These false idols, these gods that leave us empty and only bring a destiny of disappointment, why are they so attractive? Even at times to some of God's people. So I just want to look at two things just for a few minutes. The first is the delusion, the delusion of worthless idols. In our text, if you look in the Bible right there in Jeremiah chapter 2, there are three parallel statements that interchange similar words, but at the same time, Although parallel, they're different. Will you look at all three of them with me? Chapter 2 and verse 5, Chapter 2 and verse 8, and Chapter 2 and verse 11. See as I read them, if you could pick up the words that are the same, but also the words that are different, because they give us understanding. Chapter 2 and verse 5 reads What went wrong? What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me? Watch and went after worthlessness. It's the same word of vanity, emptiness. They went after emptiness and became empty. Now notice the little verb went after because it's gonna be the same verb that starts chapter two and verse eight, but the rest of it's gonna be different. Read it with me. Verse eight. And they went after things, last phrase, and they went after things that Do not profit. See, in the first time it says worthless things. This time it says they do not profit. Both of them are described as following or walking after them. And then verse 11 is even a little bit different, although yet the same. Verse 11 says, Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people... Different part, change their glory, now the same part, for that which does not profit. In the first generation of Israel, which are noted in our text, in the verses preceding what I read, verses 2 and 3, it talks about the first generation of Israelites who God delivered out of Egyptian bondage, brought them out of their slavery. And it says, and they worshipped him and therefore became holiness to him. In other words, they worshipped the true God and they became like the true God, but time passes. And even some of God's people begin to forget who he is and what he has done for them. And their lives from the inside out become enamored with lesser gods. And they depart from the true and living God. And verse five says, but now they have, here's the phrase, went far from God. They used to be close, remember those days? But now they're far from God and they went after worthlessness. False idols, and they became worthless because here's our principle what people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. Every single person in this room this morning, it is not a question of whether you are a worshiper, it's who or what you are worshiping. Because whatever you revere, you will resemble, either to your ruin or to your restoration. The problem is, for all of us, and why we fall into the trap of idolatry, is the little phrase, went after. They went after. It's a word that means to walk. It means to take a journey. It's some sort of a life's process. See, idols are attractive, and they allure us. And you know why? Because up front, they promise all kinds of things, Idols promises all the things that we dream in our hearts that if we could possibly have them, if we got them, that we would be happy. And that's what idols give to us up front. See, if you will follow me, if you will go after me, if you will walk after me, see, I'll give you all these things. And although the scripture says in the end, they do not profit, that's not what happens up front. See, I can give you popularity. I can get the guys to like you. I can get you the feeling of purpose and meaning that you are someone, that you're actually enough, no matter what your parents told you growing up. And see, the allurement is there, and they promise these things, but they don't profit in the end. They become worthless. They offer Nothing in the end but emptiness. And the word prophet is the Hebrew word kabod. It means value. It means gain. It means some benefit. And see, that's what you're looking for. We go to idols seeking what they can do for us, what they can give to us. And they promise fullness. But it only ends up in emptiness. Now here's a really profound statement. Ready? Emptiness comes from not being full. I know you didn't know that. You ever had an empty stomach? Oh, I have. Almost 24-7, it feels like, I think. But you want to be full. You know what? You're searching for it. You're looking for food. You're looking for something that will fill, fill the inside, right? When your kids grow up and they move away, you have an empty nest at home. And see, your house is empty and you remember the days when it was full, and although you griped and complained about how noisy it was and how messy your kids were, you take it back in a moment for some days, wouldn't you? Okay, maybe once. <laughs> I remember the first few months I moved here almost 27 years ago. I didn't really know the area very well. And believe it or not, it's the only time my whole life had ever happened. I can't, but I ran out of gas, right down, not far from here. And I didn't even know where the gas stations were. So I got out of my car and I go, oh, I've only been here a few months. I can't tell anybody this. They're going to think I'm crazy. So I'm walking down the road. And believe it or not, I didn't even have a gas can. And so I, find, I walk down the road just a few blocks and there is the shell station on the corner. And I walk in there and I didn't even tell him who I was. It's not a great way. I'm the new pastor and I ran out of gas because I'm not really with it. But I walk in there. And I said, hey, you know, I ran out of gas. He goes, oh, I know, I, come over here. And like, this happens every day to him. And he says, here's a gas can. I'm going to fill it up for you. When you get your car and fill it up, he goes, put all of it in there. It takes more than a gallon to get it started. Put all these gallons in there. And when you come back, you can pay for it. So I walked with the gas can all the way down. Everyone, as I walked down the road, seeing Pastor Walker's car is empty. It was a visual of my emptiness. And there I was, stranded on the side of the road, alone by myself, and I'm putting the gas in the car, and I'm thinking, how many people live on empty? Is that you? Stranded by the side of the road in life, trying to find things to fool your life, only to have to keep putting it in the gas tank over and over and over again, stranded, Not sure who can help you. You don't know where to turn to get the fullness. In fact, some people come to church and maybe you did. Maybe that's why you came. I've tried this, I've tried that. I've gone here, I've gone there. Maybe I can get it if I turn religious. Walking after spiritually empty idols, my friend, will always lead you spiritually empty. Idolatry is simply the changing of the glory of one God for another. It is believing the sinful delusion that we can exchange the fullness of God for the emptiness of idols and be satisfied. That's why in verse 11, if you'll look there, the verb that's repeated twice is the word changed in verse 11. See, has a nation changed its gods? Do you see that? My people have changed their glory. Do you see what God is saying? He's, I'm the most weighty, influential, glorious person in all the universe, and they had me, and now they've, think of the word this way, traded. They traded the infinite glory of God for a God who doesn't even have any glory. Have you ever been to the grocery store and seen all the knockoff cereals? I asked Steve to put some of them on the screen. You seen this one? Cocoa pebbles, but the knockoff is cocoa nuggets. Have you seen that one? Here's another one. Ready? Tricks for kids, the famous one. Now it's called pranks. Mm-hmm. Now look, look how similar they look. Do the next one, Steve. Apple jacks, apple orbits. Right? Look at the, and last one. Honey, crunches of oats, honey, bunches of oats. Just a couple letters different. Why? Because they're knockoffs. first time I ever went to New York City, the guy wants to come up to me and he opens up his jacket and he's got 13 Rolexes in there. I'm going to give you this Rolex. It's worth thousands of dollars and you could have it today for 500. I go, get lost. Why? It's a knockoff. Knockoff jewelry, knockoff watches, knockoff cereal, perfumes, See, they look very similar, don't they? They look very similar. The box looks serious. It's it's animated the same. And if you eat it, it, it's actually fairly close to what the original was. But what about knockoff gods? Oh, be careful, because if you don't look carefully and closely, you might be fooled. You might be fooled to thinking it's the real thing, because they promise the same thing, and sometimes they look the same way, but can I tell you this? They may look the same, but they're not the same. See, knockoff gods use the same vocabulary, but with a different dictionary. You know what I mean? Because knockoff gods offer knockoff intimacy. And you think you could have it with a new girlfriend and a new romance and another sexual exploitation. And it sounds like it's good and it sounds like it'll work, but it's a knockoff intimacy, it isn't real. And there's knockoff happiness, which doesn't last, that you have to keep trying to get more of all the time. Knock-off friendships are only there to get what they can out of you, and you're just used. There's knockoff security and what you think will make you feel good about yourself in life, and there's knockoff purposes and meaning of life, but you end up finding that they're all empty. Because that's what knock-offs are. They're false substitutes. They're inferior substitutes because idolatry idolatry is trading the true God for a knockoff God. And that's exactly what Israel did. They changed the glory of the infinite God for the glory which was non-existent in a God who wasn't there. You say, oh, that's crazy, Pastor Walker. Who would do that? And that's exactly what God says. Did you look at verse 12? Not even the pagan nations, God says. Look around you at all the nations who don't even worship me. At least they are true to their own gods. See, they don't get rid of their gods for gods that aren't really existent. But my people, the ones who actually worship the true God, have traded me in for cocoa nuggets. You know what God thinks of it? Listen, here's the words. Look at verse 12. And they're emotive, aren't they? Here's what God says. That's appalling. I can think of things I would use that word for. Appalling. He says, here's what you should do. Shudder at that. And the word means to tremble with fear. Tremble that this could possibly be you. He says, this is the third word. He says, be Hebrew. Be completely ruined. It's the same word Isaiah said when he said, woe is me. He goes, Listen, this is you. If this is you that you're trading off God, your life is starting to disintegrate, God says. Don't you see it? 21st century vernacular, we would say nobody in their right mind would do something like that. Oh yes, I know, because when we're idolatrous, we're not in our right minds. And the problem is, is that, and we find out too late, false gods are not able to bear the weight of trust that we put on them. We think that they can bring us all of these things and do all these things for us. And the reality is that they cannot. They cannot satisfy you. They cannot quench your soul's thirst. And that what brings us to point number two in our text. Not only the delusion of worthless idols, but the disappointment of them. And here's where Jeremiah, and can I say why God brought you here this morning? Because at this point, he's going to come after your heart. He wants to wake you up this morning and shake your shoulders. Wake up. You are believing a lie, and here's where it's going to take you because we become like what we worship. If we worship worthless idols, we will become worthless, and we worship emptiness, we will become empty people, and some of you know full well exactly what that means. Jeremiah uses a common cultural experience And that is the need for water in a desert climate. If he says, look at verse 13. My people have committed two evils. I want you to see it. These are two evils. And the two evils, though different, are connected. They are virtually two sides of the same coin. One is this. And he enumerates them because these are how your delusional beliefs about what false gods can do for you, this is how it's going to affect you. So listen carefully. They have forsaken me, God says. Do you hear the emotion in God? God's upset. I think he's moved to tears perhaps because he knows the path that you're on and where it goes. The fountain, he had forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Let me illustrate that. In John's gospel, chapter three and four, there are two stories about two individuals told side by side. John three is about Nicodemus who is very upstanding, righteous, religious, a Pharisee, keeps the law. He is the moral insider. And there are people who are thirsting for Jesus And have their life all together. They do. Nicodemus did. And yet he comes to Jesus and says you're different. Because you can't do all these things unless God is with you. And he wants to know about life. You know why? Because Nicodemus, religious as he is. Having it all together as he appears. Is empty. Because here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. Morality and self-righteousness will never satisfy it will never fill the void that you're looking for it to do Nicodemus had to find that and the only way he could find it was to come and talk to Jesus and Jesus told him Nicodemus you don't just need a reform you don't need just to cut a few things out and add some things on you need to be born again you need a whole new life start over completely today and that's hard for some of us who come to church and think things about God and I believe God, I own a Bible, I occasionally read it and I try to be nice and see we think that morality And self-righteousness will fill the void. It will not. But smack dab next door, side by side, John 4, turn the page, is the woman at the well who is the opposite, polar opposite of Nicodemus. She is the immoral outsider. She's not Jewish. She doesn't worship at the right place the right way. Doesn't have the full Bible. And she's anything but righteous. (laughs) And guess what? She too is thirsty. And she sits by a well trying to get physical water when she needs another kind because they're both empty, both. Morality or immorality, sexual restraint, sexual freedom, they all go the same way. Why? Because if you worship emptiness, you become emptiness. It doesn't matter which one of those paths that you take. They have forsaken me, God says, The fountain of living waters. And the word is to abandon. It means to leave behind. It is as if in your mind you think, I really don't need it. See, sinful idolatry is pursuing satisfaction where it cannot lastingly be found. That's why God calls it evil. Evil is trying to find life anywhere but in God. Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. You cannot be full unless you get your fullness from God. Augustine said it this way, He pleases God whom God pleases. Sam Storms, our century, says this, You are his pleasure when he is your treasure. How could anyone, Pastor Walker, how could anyone abandon the guaranteed source of life, i.e. God, for a guaranteed source of disappointment? False idols. Answer it for me. How do people abandon God for money? How do people abandon God for success? How do people abandon God for sex? How do people, or maybe how do you, Abandon God for drugs or alcohol or pornography. Jeremiah, a few chapters later, says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. Listen, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Here's what God wants you to hear. He will not be a means that you use to discover lasting satisfaction on your own terms. He is not a stronger shovel that you can find anywhere else to unearth the buried treasure that you are looking for. Can I tell you straight? He is your treasure. He is your satisfaction. Well, if God came into my life and I had Jesus in my life, and that's why I'm here, because maybe if I have him in my life, then he can give me the things that will make me happy. He doesn't give you things to make you happy, he gives you himself. It is the only source of satisfaction that you'll ever need. And every time we turn away from him for other things, inferior things, lesser things, we are asking God to give us temporary pleasure when permanent pleasure is at our disposal. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. And at your right hand is pleasure forevermore. Lasting pleasures. But here is the... the appalling thing that God's people have done. Verse 13 says, but instead of God, the fountain of living waters, here's the substitute. They have tried to hew out cisterns They've carved in the rocks by their own hand a way that they can maintain water in a desert climate. Instead of turning to the fountain, they have turned to a little puddle of water that they've tried to get from the rain on their own. And the problem is not only is it limited, but it has holes in the bottom. Can you imagine? Imagine being in a desert where water is everything for you, for your animals, so they can live, so that you can eat and everything in life depends on water, and you have changed a lake for a bottle of water. That's what we do when we turn to idols. We forsake God for them, and they're broken. We've abandoned the unlimited source for a limited one. We've turned from the bank to find what we think we can get in an ATM machine. A water bucket we have turned over for a water tower. and vending machine, we think that can do it instead of living at the grocery store. See, Jeremiah says this, instead of drinking from God's bottomless well, we hew out our own sources of water. And here's why. Because we think that we are better at finding happiness and satisfaction than God is. We think that we can do this and we can have that, and if we could buy that and have that relationship, that we would actually be better than God at finding it in God. But did you get the text? Broken cisterns, what? That can hold no water. It means this that you keep pouring the water in, and as fast as it goes in, it goes out. It can't hold it. It's a powerful image, is it not, of emptiness, futility, wasted effort, cisterns that can hold no water in a culture and in a climate where water was life. Do you get what the idea is? You are wasting your life, throwing your life away. It will not work. If you worship broken cisterns, you will become a broken cistern. I call it having a leaky life. Do you have that this morning? Do you have a leaky life? Pastor Walker, I keep pouring it in and I think this next promotion will finally do it for me and then it goes right out the bottom. Oh, that next romance, that next relationship. See, I just need another shopping spree. Another box delivered, delivered from Amazon, that'll do it. Another vacation to distract me from life's problems. Another medication, another drink, another romance, another person's bed, another workout at the gym, just a little bit more at the gym, another diet, another car, another house. And we can't even see that the water is running out. It can hold no water. See, you do all those things and you have all those things. And guess what? Still thirsty, aren't we? still empty, still not enough. Do you remember what Mary Carr said? I knelt by my altar of worship and I had to empty myself of poison. Oh, see, do you understand? It's not until you realize that all the kind of things that you're pouring into your life, they are nothing but poison. Poison that you need to empty. You will never be full unless you first become empty. See, for Mary Carr, she thought that all she needed to do was say, Oh, uncle. You know that's the old game, mercy, uncle. Oh, see, I can tell you God wants more than that from you this morning. He wants to go far deeper than you just admitting that you can't do some things on your own. He wants you to become empty. I mean totally empty of yourself and of your sin. Can I close with Jesus' words? Listen to his view of thirst. In John 7, 37 and 38, on the last day of the feast, here's what Jesus said. If anyone thirsts, and that's all of us, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, listen, listen. Out of his heart will flow rivers of water. Leaky lives, oh, he specializes in them. He can solve and plug every leak in your heart. I mean, to the extent as you invite him into your life as your Lord and Savior, can I tell you this? Here's what he will do He will give you a water source on the inside that no one can quench. It will flow like a river in you and you won't have to have all the other things you think that will do it for you. You can give up your inferior false idols. You can come to him. He says, I'm the Lord of the leaks. I can handle any leak you have. I can give you a fullness that you could never imagine that won't just last now, but will last for all eternity Oh, that's a satisfaction our world looks for and it can never find. Because you know what the problem with us and with Mary Carr and with Israel? It's not that we are thirsty. Oh, no. The problem with us is that we are looking in the wrong place to have that thirst quenched. How about you this morning? If we are empty, it's because we run after emptiness. Emptiness. And become empty. But you today, through Jesus Christ, you can be full. Full forever. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I've asked Pastor Dave and a couple others to be ready this morning We're going to sing a song of invitation. To walk down the aisle this morning at the beginning of the song would have to be this. You walk down empty and you walk out full. That is what God brought you here for. But you have to admit you're empty first. You have to admit that you're making your own cisterns and they can't hold any water. You have to admit that your life to God, the true God, is evil because you have forsaken him. And maybe that's because you've never known him. Maybe you've never recognized that God, through Jesus Christ, died on the cross in your place. He died for all the sinful choices that make you empty. And he rose again on the third day because he wanted to show you that he has conquered every problem, including your emptiness. And in him, you can find all that you're looking for and more. But you have to come empty. See, if you walk the aisle today, it doesn't mean anything in of itself. But what it means is that I'm searching for fullness. And the fullness I need can only be found in the death and resurrection of my Lord, Savior, Jesus. You need to come to him and ask for forgiveness and repent of your sins and yield your life to him. We have others here today that can help you do just that. You can drink from the well that never runs dry. But perhaps you're here this morning and you are one of God's people and that's actually who the text is for, isn't it? My people, he says. Do you hear the personal pronoun? It's breaking his heart. My people, they know me but they don't want me. They think they can run their own lives. They think that they can find the right guy, the right girl, the right job, the right. It's empty. It's empty without God. Child of God, do you see it? You can come this morning and ask someone to help you, pray for you, help you work through finding your satisfaction Again, and all that God is for you in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would you do that? Moral or immoral, it doesn't matter. Let go of the emptiness and come and drink from Jesus. Father, you know the hearts of all people. All our ways are known to you. You see, you see everything that we try to cover up everything we try to hide, but you see it all. You see the tears when no one's looking, the emptiness. You see us stranded by the side of the road. Oh, everybody else can see our empty gas can, but we just won't want to admit it. Oh, my Lord, you are fullness personified. Work now by your Holy Spirit and do it only you can. Overcome unbelief, move in people's hearts, to tears and brokenness. Father, we're broken people because we drink at broken cisterns. Heal us by your grace and for your glory. We ask through Christ Jesus. Amen.